In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Therefore, let us confess our sins to the Lord. Holy and merciful Lord, I confess that I was born of fallen parents, sinful from the time I was conceived. I have folded under temptations to live like the world around me in hatred of your commands. I have been too afraid to speak to others about you. I have failed to embrace suffering for your name when called to do so. I deserve to be lowered into the grave and left in hell. Lord, have mercy on me. The Lord has been merciful to you and has sent Jesus, the Son of God and Mary's Son. He stood firm in every temptation for you from beginning to end. He fearlessly testified to the truth before friend and foe in your place. He faced the cross and death with joy to take away the sins of the world. By his resurrection, we stand confident in his victory for us. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the peace of forgiveness, let us praise the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, our refuge and strength, pour out your Holy Spirit on your faithful people. Keep them steadfast in your word. Protect and comfort them in all temptations. Defend them against all their enemies. And bestow on the church your saving peace. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
Please be seated. Our first lesson today comes from Daniel chapter 6. Daniel needed a mighty fortress in his God as well. Because even back in his time, people hated those who worshipped the true God. That didn't stop him. He continued to worship the Lord, calling on him in prayer. And we will, no matter what, as well. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The word of the Lord. Continue with our anthem.
Our second lesson today, taken from Romans chapter 3, this section of scripture is about justification, that God has declared all not guilty in Christ. And we need God to be our mighty fortress on this too, because people hate this teaching by nature. And the world around us hates it too. May God grant that we stand firm on justification. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. The word of the Lord. Continue with the choir.
Please stand in honor of the gospel. The gospel for this Reformation Sunday taken from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus would be the mighty fortress for his disciples as he sent them out so that they could stand firm to the end. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Please be seated for the hymn of the day.
grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, your righteousness. Amen. God's word we consider in our sermon today, the second lesson from Romans 3. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. He had already been examined by Cardinal Cajetan, the Pope's representative. Then he had to defend himself at the debate in Leipzig against Johann Eck. Then he was excommunicated by Leo X, the Pope. And now Martin Luther stood on trial. On trial at the Diet of Worms in front of the Emperor Charles V, in front of electors, princes, nobles, priests, bishops, and all kinds of other dignitaries, there he stood. On a table next to him, piled high, were all kinds of books, writings, tracts, treatises, all of Martin Luther's works. He was asked this question, Will you stand by what you have written? Or will you recant? Will you take it back? All the pressure. His life and his future hung in the balance as he stood trial there in Worms. This is a, a familiar Reformation scene for most longtime Lutherans. Don't you breathe a sigh of relief, though? When you look at this scene of Martin Luther on trial and think, at least we weren't standing on trial. At least I didn't have to go through that, that pressure. At least it wasn't me in front of all those people, all my works on trial. Yet today, in Romans 3, God himself summons you. God serves you paperwork to appear in the highest court, in God's court, with all of your works, everything you've ever said or done there next to you. How will you plead? What will you say? What will your confidence be in God's courtroom? God developed his case in Romans chapter 1 against the wickedness of those who suppress the truth by their godlessness. They should have known they had no excuse looking at creation around them. God is almighty. God is real. His divine nature witnessed to by creation. And God furthered his case in Romans chapter 2. All those who condemn others are really guilty of doing the same things. They have sinned too. In Romans 3, in the words leading up to our section of scripture for today, the law takes the stand. Verse after verse, all are guilty. The mouth of everyone is silenced. All are held accountable to God. That is what God's law does in God's courtroom. Every mouth silenced, everyone under judgment before God. 
And as you look through scripture, you, you see how often this happens. The rich young man, for example. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. These I have kept since I was a youth. Yet the law took the stand and revealed his God, his idol, was his wealth. And he walked away silent. Some Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? Whoever is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, from older to younger, they walked away, their mouths silenced by the law. Or Paul talking with Felix when Paul was going through his imprisonment and his trial, talking with Felix about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. Felix couldn't talk with him anymore, sent him away because the law silenced Felix. Every mouth silenced. The whole world held accountable to God. And so you and me in God's courtroom, it's the same. Well, well I've never murdered anyone. But the law speaks up. You have hated. But, well, I've never robbed from someone. But you have coveted the situation, the possessions, the abilities of others. I've never used God's name to curse someone. You have been slow to pray and slow to share God's name with others. But I've put in so much overtime for God over the years, serving Him, working hard for Him. But there have been seasons where you've resented it or where you've just been in it for your own glory and applause, and accolades. The law silences every mouth. In our nation, oftentimes we hear, someone needs to be held accountable for the border, for the economy, for the climate, for all this violence. Someone needs to be held accountable. Yet what they mean by that is someone else needs to be held accountable. What God says in his courtroom, when the law takes the stand, you are held accountable. I am held accountable. All have sinned and fallen short. If the bail is set at $5 million, I might be able to scrape up 50000 Maybe some of you could gather 5000 Maybe others of you, 500000 half a million dollars. But it still comes up short. In God's courtroom, all have sinned and fallen short. And so the law presents an airtight case. There are no loopholes in it. You and I, guilty by verdict of the law. Death is the sentence. And not just a quick and painless lethal injection. Eternal suffering and death. But then another witness takes the stand. The law and the prophets, the scriptures, 
And they have something else to say. They testify to God's righteousness. God's righteousness. There is one person who has done everything right. And he is God. The scriptures talk about him. Scriptures mention in Genesis chapter 12, the offspring of Abraham, God will use that offspring to bless all nations. Exodus 28, the high priest will go into the presence of God with the names of his people on his heart. Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Psalm 45, you are the most excellent of men. You loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold. In him is my delight. The scriptures take the stand and they testify to God's righteousness for you in this one person, Jesus Christ. He did everything right all the time. The law is silenced with Jesus in the courtroom. What you did wrong, Jesus did right, and it's delivered to you through faith. What you didn't do, Jesus did, and God gives to you through faith. The scriptures place that into your heart and into your hand to trust and to have and to hold. Martin Luther was voluntold that he would teach at Wittenberg. That was an awful lot of work. But you, Martin, you're going to teach the scriptures there at the university in Wittenberg. And so he dug in. He poured over those scriptures. He dove in to the scriptures as he taught Genesis and lectured on the Psalms and Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. And in those scriptures, he found God's righteousness for him. And that's where we find God's righteousness for us as well. Martin Luther said, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, just as I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine and given to me what is yours. You have, been, you have taken upon yourself what you were not and have given to me what I was not. Martin Luther accomplished so much in his lifetime. He wrote voluminously, he preached so many sermons, but perhaps his greatest achievement was simply translating the scriptures into the language of the people so that the butchers and the bakers, the fathers and the mothers, the children, the people of the community could hear and learn and read and trust and grow in the scriptures. Because that's where God's righteousness is revealed. Gives testimony and gives that righteousness to you. That is your confidence in God's courtroom. It's God's righteousness revealed to you in the scriptures. And this is what Reformation is about. It's not about Martin Luther. It's about the scriptures taking the stand and pointing you to God's righteousness. It's about us week after week going to the scriptures, listening, hearing, soaking in God's righteousness for us, that is your confidence in God's courtroom, the highest court. 
but also Christ's atonement. Our society is very frustrated with justice. They look at this trial or that trial around the country, and it didn't turn out like it should have. Justice, they cry out. The economy is unjust. The political system, the whole system of our nation is unjust, people say. Businesses and corporations and activists, they point out injustices. People wear clothing that calls for justice. But justice will always fall short among people who fall short. In God's courtroom, however, God is just. Perfect justice, complete justice. God does not leave the guilty unpunished. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God is just. All you have to do is read through the book of Leviticus to see how just God is. Especially chapters 1 through 7. It didn't matter whether the sin was intentional or by accident, whether it was committed by the community or an individual, whether it was done against another person or against God's commands, the penalty was blood. The price was death because God is just. And then on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, once a year, one person, the high priest, could go into the most holy place and there he would take the blood of a sacrificed goat, sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of the atonement cover. Justice. There underneath the atonement cover, that was the lid for the Ark of the the Covenant, that's where the tablets of the law were stored. Only blood, only death could atone for sin. And in God's courtroom, this is the evidence that God puts forth. God sets forth Christ as the atonement for sin, by the shedding of his blood. That is the proof that God is just. All of your sins placed on Christ. The sin of the world, the sentence for that carried out by Christ. The condemnation for all sin put on Christ at the cross where he shed his blood. And you are atoned for. All of your sin forgiven. Sin that separated you from God, you are brought back at one with God. You are atoned. That is your confidence in God's court. Many will complain about the legal system. It takes so long. Cases drag on for months, then there are appeals. It can take years before justice is served. That's what happened with God's courtroom too. All of the sins committed between Adam and Christ left unpunished. Thousands upon thousands of years of sin left unpunished. But there at the cross, God showed his justice. All of those sins paid for. All of the sins from Christ until the end of time paid for, including yours. Christ's atonement is your confidence in God's courtroom. All are justified because of Christ's atonement. All. 
When Christ shed his blood at the cross, God reconciled the world to himself. When Christ's blood was shed at the cross, the sins of the world were taken away. Everyone was declared not guilty because of Christ's atonement. A number of years back, there was a major data breach. Equifax, one of the major national credit bureaus. 147 million people's data was compromised. And so there was a settlement reached. $425 million available. If you lost money, if you lost time, if there were fraudulent charges on your account, the settlement meant that you could be compensated for that. I'm not sure if that applied to any of you. Every now and then we'll get a postcard or a mailing that says, there was a settlement against a company. You might qualify. Yet in God's courtroom, there's no might about it, no maybe. It is settled. You are justified because all are justified. You are declared not guilty because all have been declared not guilty by Christ's sacrifice at the cross. Apart from anything that you have done or could ever do, Christ's atonement did it for you. That's your confidence in God's courtroom. This is something that Martin Luther wrestled with and struggled with for years. Have I done enough? Are my sins really paid for? He spent long nights lying on stone-cold floors. Have I put myself through enough suffering? Would God forgive me? Would God set me free ever? You and I, our struggles in life look slightly different than Martin Luther. But for each of us, at some point in our life, for some length of time, we've worried and we've wondered. Would God accept me? What will my verdict be in God's courtroom? Because of my repeat offenses, my public scandals, my private guilt, what is my verdict? You are justified because all are justified. That is your confidence in God's courtroom. Now, when you do qualify for one of those settlements against a corporation, you have to research whether it applies to you. There's paperwork to be filled out, forms to be sent in, and then it takes time too. So much work when you qualify for one of those settlements. But not in God's courtroom. There's no work for you. This is given to you freely by God's grace. It's been said that the Holy Spirit doesn't stutter. But here he puts these two expressions that mean the same thing, freely, by his grace, right next to each other, so that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's free for you. Christ paid for it. At no cost for you, Christ covered it. This is God's verdict for you. Not guilty. Sins paid for. You are set free for eternal life with God. The handcuffs and the shackles have fallen off of you in God's courtroom so that you can serve and live and love for the rest of your life here in thanks to God.
Christ's atonement is your confidence in God's courtroom. Back to Martin Luther. I don't know if you will ever find yourself on trial in front of the president or the Supreme Court or at the state capitol, but there is more testimony to give. It may not be in front of kings or emperors, but in front of your classmates and your co-workers, your neighbors and other people in the community, they will have to stand in God's courtroom too. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid about what to say. The Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor comes to your side and he has given you words to say this morning. Words of God's righteousness for you. Words of Christ's atonement for all. Whether people like you or not, whether they hate what you have to say or not, you can be confident in God's courtroom and stand firm. And because of that confidence in God's courtroom, you can stand firm and be completely confident no matter where you go, no matter when it is, for the rest of your time here. Stand firm on your salvation. Amen. Please stand. Now may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed, third article in its explanation. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and fully forgives all sins to me and all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Please be seated for our responsive prayer. Gracious God, in mercy you sent your only Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, into this world to redeem us from sin and rescue us from hell. Through your scriptures and by your Spirit, you have brought us to faith in your Son and have assured us that Christ has fully completed the work of our salvation. When guilt grieves our consciences and shame squelches our confidence, use your word to encourage and comfort our souls with the good news of your unconditional love. Almighty God, in the face of immense pressure to compromise their confession, you emboldened Martin Luther and the Lutheran Reformers to take a firm stand on the truths of Scripture. Through their clear confession of faith, you restored the gospel to your church and have preserved this saving truth among us today. Send your Holy Spirit that we exhibit the same zeal and faithfulness as the Lutheran confessors. 
Give us courage to confess our faith sincerely and boldly in the classroom, the workplace, the community, and to everyone we encounter who needs to hear the truth of your word. Eternal God, you have promised to preserve and protect your church in every age. Even when it appeared that the enemies of the gospel had silenced your truth, you kept your people faithful to you and your word. Bless all who face hardships for their faith with an added measure of your Holy Spirit so that they do not lose heart as they bear their crosses. Comfort the sick and suffering, the depressed and lonely, those who are persecuted and ridiculed for their faith, and all others who need the encouragement of your love. Heavenly Father, in the beginning, you established marriage between one man and one woman for life as a blessing for families and society. Please be with Michaela and Grant Schrader, married this weekend. Give them faithfulness to each other and grant that they grow in their Savior's love together and their love for one another with each passing year. Lord God, you know the concerns of our hearts and minds. Hear the public prayers we have spoken with our lips and the personal prayers we offer to you in our hearts and answer them according to your gracious will. Continue with the next hymn.
Please stand. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.